Side Hustle Show 211, double your energy in seven days. Welcome to the Side Hustle Show, where aspiring part-time entrepreneurs learn how to turn their side hustle dreams into reality. Because your nine to five may make you a living, but your five to nine makes you alive. And now your host, Nick Loper. What's up, what's up? Nick Loper here. Welcome to the Side Hustle Show. If you're struggling to make more time for your business, maybe the answer isn't more hours in the day, but maybe it's more energy in your hours. It's something I think we can all use, and that's the topic of today's show. I invited Yuri Elkheim on the program because he's one of the leading experts in this area. He's a former professional soccer player, a registered holistic nutritionist, and he's the author of The All-Day Energy Diet, among several other books. One thing that attracted me to Yuri was his idea of energy through tranquility rather than stimulation. Today, you'll learn how to diagnose reasons for low energy and the seven commandments or factors to look at so you can feel better, get more done, and see more results in your side hustle. You can learn more about Yuri at yurielkim.com. You can find all the notes, links, and a free downloadable highlight reel of this conversation at sidehustlenation.com slash Yuri. That's Y-U-R-I. Before we dive in, let me take a moment to thank today's sponsor, FreshBooks.com. Are you trying to turn your side hustle into a full-time gig? FreshBooks wants to save you time dealing with your paperwork, the accounting stuff, the invoicing, the expense tracking, so you can spend more time making your hustle happen. For your 30-day free trial, go to FreshBooks.com slash side hustle and enter the side hustle show in the how did you hear about us section. I'll be back to tell you a little bit more about FreshBooks, plus my top takeaways from this chat with Yuri after the interview. We begin this conversation with energy commandment number one, and that's blood pH, something I knew pretty much nothing about. So I asked Yuri what it is, how we measure it, and what to do about it. Ready? Let's do it. Yeah, so blood pH, so every every fluid in your body, every fluid in the world has a pH, right? And we can test that pretty easily. I think we've all done that in chemistry or biology back in school. And the pH scale ranges from 0 to 14. 0 is very acidic. 14 is very alkaline or basic. Seven is neutral. So to give you some contrast, your stomach acid is about two. So it's very acidic and it's very important to digest protein. Your blood should be just above seven. So about 7.35 and that's slightly alkaline. And it's supposed to be at that range or at that, at that number-ish to allow your blood to do what it's supposed to do normally. So inside the blood, we have, obviously, it's kind of the river of life, right? Think about it as a river and it's carrying, you know, boats and passengers and stuff to the different areas in your body. And the reason that's important is that in your blood, you have red blood cells. And these are cells that carry oxygen throughout your body. And your cells, in your muscle, liver, fat, everywhere else, require that oxygen to produce energy. It's called aerobic metabolism. That's important because if your cells don't receive oxygen, well, they don't produce energy. And if they don't get oxygen for a certain amount of time, in the brain, that's something called a stroke. In the rest of your body, if you don't get if you don't get enough oxygen over time, that's something called death. Yeah. So oxygen is, is very important for life. So think about it like this. Let's say that each one of these red blood cells is a taxi cab. And inside the taxi cab, we have four passengers. Each one of those passengers is an oxygen molecule. So in your blood, when the pH is healthy, so that's 7.35 range, that's like driving in that taxi at two in the morning on a highway, right? No problem. We can get from AB very easily. Okay. The problem though is that most people's bloodstream becomes a little bit less acidic than the 7.35. And we're not talking about like a big drop because you'd be dead, but like, you know, a slight drop from 7.35 to like 7.34 
even can make a big difference. Oh, really? Very, very slight difference. Yeah, because it's it's an exponential scale. So if you went from 7.35 to 7.34, that's still a big change physiologically. If you went down to like 7.1, you'd probably be dead. Wow. Okay. So <laughs> what happens is, and and again, this is coming out of a lot of stuff out of that's researched in Germany. They found that when the blood becomes slightly acidic, those taxi cabs, the red blood cells, start to clump together. So instead of flowing on the highway at two in the morning, it's like driving in Manhattan during rush hour. Okay. So going from A to B takes a lot longer. So if your blood is, if all those red blood cells are starting to stick together, then they're not able to flow freely through your blood. So your blood ends up becoming a little bit more sluggish. And if your blood is sluggish, then you feel sluggish. So that's just a really simple way of maybe visualizing what's happening inside the blood. And unfortunately, most blood tests will never show you this. You go to your doctor, you get a finger prick of blood or they draw some blood. They're never going to show you this. The best way to see this is actually under a microscope or an electron microscope, sorry, in a blood processor test called live blood cell microscopy. And what they'll do is most naturopathic clinics will offer this is you can take a finger prick of blood, they'll put it under the microscope, and you can see on a screen what's actually happening in that blood live. It's the most illuminating experience ever. I remember I did this a number of years ago, and I was like, why is everything stacked together? Like my my blood cells looked like poker chips that were just stacked on top of each other. And that's a, a phenomenon called rouleau, where your red blood cells, instead of being freely flowing, not stuck together, are now stacked on top of each other and not able to move anywhere. And that happens as a result of the blood becoming a little bit more acidic or just having you know too much junk in your blood via parasites or yeast or different things like that. And it really affects how you feel and obviously your health overall. Hmm. So yeah, I don't know if that makes sense. But again, this is not stuff you hear in most medical journals. This is not stuff that you're going to hear on Dr. Oz. And it's sad because it, the proof is in the pudding. I mean, it's, it's very, very evident when you see this under a microscope in person and then you can see what it looks like after a couple of weeks of making some changes. It's very tough to refute it. Yeah. Are there any other ways to measure this? Just, just to kind of get a baseline of where you're at? Yeah. I mean, you can, so the, I would say the live blood cell microscopy is the gold standard of like, holy cow, that's what my blood looks like. But you can also do a simple pH test. So you can like, you can go to your pharmacy and grab a pH testing kit, which might cost you like two bucks. And you can test your saliva, you can test your urine. And you're basically going to be looking at if the urine or if the saliva is a little bit more acidic than it should be. And that's, you know, a really simple way on a regular basis, not like a, a fanatical every single day type of thing, but once a week, you can even look at, all right, let's measure how things are going this week. I'll just put this on my tongue, see what the resulting color is, match that to the pH scale on the testing kit. Okay, it's a little bit too acidic. Maybe if I look back over the week and look at what are the foods that I ate, okay, maybe that makes that makes sense. So, of course, after I hung up with Yuri, I went out to get one of these pH tests to give it a try myself. And by went out, I mean ordered on Amazon Prime. It wasn't $2. I think it was $6.99 for a pack of 100 test strips. So I can run this test over and over again if I really want to. So I've done three tests so far, all with saliva. The first one was right after New Year's, which I figured would be a really good baseline for unhealthy Nick. I just spent the last week and a half traveling over the holidays and was definitely not taking great care of my body in terms of the food and the beverages I was putting in it. So that first test came back at a 6.5. 
which remember the, the saliva is just a proxy for the blood, so that's why I'm still alive. But the little chart um, on the packet indicated this was definitely on the acidic side of the scale and just, just on the lower edge of the kind of the acceptable range they wanted to see. So as I got back into my home office and home cooking routine, I tested a couple more times and wound up with a 7.5 and a 7.0. And um, I definitely feel better, but I mean, who knows how much I can attribute that to improved blood pH. At least at least it wasn't getting worse. So if you were uh, feeling tired and you want to test yourself without getting your finger pricked, this was definitely an easy way to do it. But then Yuri broke this news to me. I mean, these are things that you can do. To be honest, I don't do any of this stuff. Like I really don't. So not anymore, at least. I basically go on how I feel. And that's really the best indicator for most of this stuff is I know when my body is is really at its optimum just based on how I feel on a day-to-day basis. Okay. If I'm waking up easily, if I'm, you know, kind of flying through the day without obviously stimulants like sugar or caffeine, which I don't really use anyways, I know my body's in a good state of where it needs to be. Let's say you do do this test and it comes back slightly acidic. What action do you take? Is it a dietary changes? Yeah, the cool thing is so all of this is really influenced for the most part by food, right? So foods that are acidic are for the most part animal products. Cheese is being the most offensive from an acidic standpoint. And meats, then we go down to some of the grains. And then as we go to the alkaline side of things, we're looking at vegetables and fruit for the most part. So it's a very simple equation. It's known as PRAL or potential renal acid load. Basically, if a food gives off more protein and phosphorus than it does calcium, magnesium, and potassium, which are three alkaline minerals, that food is considered more acidic. If it gives off more of those alkaline minerals than the protein and phosphorus, then it's considered alkaline. So if you look at kale, right, it has very low amounts of protein and phosphorus, but high amounts of those other three alkaline minerals, that's why it's a alkaline food. If you look at an apple, any fruit or vegetable, very low in protein, very low in phosphorus, very high in those minerals. If you look at cheese, milk, animal products, it's the reverse. So it's really about recognizing that you don't have to become a a vegetarian or just solely plant-based, although from every single parameter of your health, it will be improved by eating more plant-based foods. And a large part of that is the result of A, they're more alkaline forming, B, they're anti-inflammatory, and we know that inflammation is is basically at the foundation along with acidosis of pretty much most disease. Three, you're getting way more phytonutrients, so small little micronutrients that are not present in a lot of the acidic foods like meats and dairy. And these are all the phytonutrients that help us fight off diseases, like things like resveratrol that we only find in the skin of red grapes as an example. So phytonutrients, antioxidants, these are all things that we get from eating more plant-based foods. So if your blood, if you're coming back slightly sluggish, slightly acidic, a really simple thing is just to get more vegetables into your diet, right? So you can have a green juice, have a green smoothie, take some greens powder, throw it in water, have it with you throughout the day. Those are simple things you can do to offset the acidic balance. And this stuff can be corrected very quickly. And that's the cool thing about this. There was actually a study that showed that from consumption to testing, you can change your pH within about four hours of consuming a food. Wow. So if you've had a pretty indulgent Christmas holidays and you want to feel better, you can start literally by tomorrow. All right. I was afraid you were going to say like eat more vegetables, but uh, that's it's good to hear there's some science behind that too, of course. Yeah. And all that goes into your gut, your digestive system. Is that kind of the next place you're looking at to kind of cure a low energy situation? Yeah, for sure. So digestion is the most 
labor-intense process in the body. So that's why you feel really sluggish after a big like Thanksgiving dinner. Yes, yes. <laughs> instead of like wanting to go for a run. So the reason for that is because what I've recognized, and again, this is, I don't know if this is really, actually, you know what? This was something that was commonly held belief more than 100 years ago. is known as the vitality theory. And at the time, doctors would tell women, do not leave the house because you need to use your energy for household chores. This was commonly held belief. It was, it was insane. And they said that if you were outside of the house doing any kind of activity, it could actually lead to something called uterine displacement, basically the uterus falling out of the woman. Oh my gosh. <laughs> this was medical practice in the early 1900s. It was crazy. So at the time, I remember learning about this in school and I was like, that's, that's insane. But as I started to go into this stuff later on with respect to this research and this work, I realized that we really do have a set amount of vitality or there's kind of like there's a zero sum game with respect to energy in the body. So if you have a huge Thanksgiving dinner, it's like you've used up all your energy points. Those energy points are put like, let's say you've got 100 energy points, 80 of those points are put towards digesting that food. And that's why, I don't know about you, but I've like fallen asleep at the table <laughs> in, yeah. in previous years. And that's because you just don't have enough energy to do anything else. Your body has diverted most of its energy and blood flow to the digestive system to break down all those heavy proteins, all that stuff that's going on there. And that means that your body doesn't have enough energy points to do other things like get up and move. Now, this is weird because if you, and I love reading like nutrition labels, like if you go to Italy or Spain or someplace, it labels calories as energia. It's like, this is exactly. energy and it makes me feel so much better about what I'm eating. Like, look how much energy this one has. And that's the fallacy <laughs> because the dietetics approach to nutrition is all about quantity, not about quality, right? So they're just looking at numbers and quantifying our food, which is just, it's a terrible way of looking at food in the first place. But, you know, we look at a food label, as you said, and it's like 300 calories slash energy. Like, well, that means that if you have Nutella for breakfast, you're going to feel more energized. And maybe you're going to have that initial sugar high, but you're quickly going to come down from that. So again, coming from a slightly paradoxical position on this is that the less food you eat, the more energetic you're going to feel. And there's obviously an upper limit to this. If you don't eat food ever, you're eventually going to fade away. Yeah. But throughout the day, like we've been led to believe that if we're not eating every two to three hours, our metabolism is going to shut down. And a lot of people are scared to go into what's called starvation mode because they think their body's going to store it as fat and so forth. But the reality is like, if you just think about this based on our conversation with energy here, if you're constantly eating food, how are you supposed to have the mental or the energetic capacity to function mentally, to go up and to get around and move, for your body to break down immune complexes and inflammatory particles that need to be taken care of. It's not able to do its job properly because it's constantly worrying about digesting food that you're eating on a constant basis. So when you're in a fasted state, so basically you haven't eaten anything for a few hours, your body's now able to use that energy to clean up the mess. It's a process called autophagy. And it's one of the biggest fundamental reasons why intermittent fasting is so powerful, not only for fat loss, but overall health, because now your body, it's full energy reserve. And it says, all right, well, we got nothing to do in the stomach or the digestive system. Let's go around and let's fix some stuff that needs to be fixed. Let's get rid of some junk. Let's recycle some of this stuff. And that is one of the most effective ways of improving your health. And we know from animal studies that animals that eat a third fewer calories end up living one third longer. And so this whole concept of frugal eating is not only beneficial from a weight loss perspective, but also from a longevity perspective. And if you correlate energy with longevity, 
it kind of makes sense. For most people, we eat because we're conditioned to eat or we're stressed or we're bored. But if you're really thinking and listening to your body, you might really need food two, three times a day. And if it's if they're spaced out by five, six hours, that's totally fine. And your body will actually do a lot better because of that. Okay. Now all my energy is diverted to work capacity or, you know, energy muscles or whatever. But it's like, I'm hungry, you know, how do you combat the, you know, it's like, well, if I'm going 10 hours without food, then there's a trade off there too. Or it's like, well, that's all I can think about. Sure. So yeah, it's a good point. I'm not saying you should starve yourself on purpose just to have supposedly more energy. So if you're hungry throughout the day, have some food for sure. But what I'm suggesting is that you recognize why you're hungry. So one of the things that I recommend, actually, I don't talk about it too much in this book, but in my other book, The All-Day Fat-Burning Diet, one of the things I recommend is once a week doing a one-day fast. And the reason for that is because it's got tremendous benefits from a health perspective and fat loss perspective. But from an introspection perspective, to understand why it is you eat when you eat is very powerful. It's one of the most illuminating things that most of the people who have gone through this program have recognized. It's like, wow, I didn't, I didn't realize how obsessed I was with food. Or I recognized that I was hungry at this certain time, not because I was hungry, but because I was just used to eating when I was at my computer. Or I was stressed or bored, so I would turn to food. So just from that kind of learning about why they're eating what they're eating, it's a very, very powerful position to come from because you then know that. And then you can start to dissociate that type of psychological hunger from physiological hunger. Okay. What do you think of the Soylent, like the meal in a meal in a shake or your day's food is just blended up in this thing? I mean, I like the idea of blended meals. I think they're amazing, especially if they're coming from vegetables and fruit, but Soylent's, no. Nah, <laughs> I think it came out of San Francisco, right? Because of all these like Silicon Valley people who are too busy to eat. But I don't really think it's, uh, I mean, to eat anything that's the same on a consistent basis day in and day out is a recipe for disaster because that's how you develop food intolerances and allergies and all sorts of gut issues. And obviously you need some variety in, <laughs> in your food. So if you want to make smoothies that are different types of smoothies throughout the week, awesome. But I wouldn't recommend Soylent's. Okay. And you like those powdered greens. Is it called powdered greens or like super grass or something? I've seen it at Costco. Or- yeah, there's a bunch of different brands. You know, we've got one called Energy Greens. And, you know, the reason that we developed them was because I kept talking about alkalinity for so long that people were like, well, you know, what greens do you recommend? Juicing takes 20 minutes. I'd rather just put this in water. Yeah. So we developed one that was based on eight superfood ingredients, all raw, organic, non-GMO all that good stuff. And it's a really simple way that, I mean, it's it's one of the ways that I start my day. I'll usually have half a liter of water with one or two scoops. And it's just a simple way of ensuring you're getting that kind of nutritional safety net. Okay. And there's all sorts of brands on the market that you know you can try. Not all of them are, are that good, but some taste better than others and some are different qualities. But yeah, if you have a good quality one, it's uh, definitely, I would definitely recommend it. Okay. Yeah, I was doing that in my smoothie, my breakfast smoothies for a while. And it was it didn't taste amazing, but I said, I just had to tell myself like, okay, it's supposed to be good for me. It's supposed to be healthy. <laughs> yeah. That's always the trade-off, right? Like it can't be healthy and good tasting at the same time, but there are ones including ours that do taste a lot better. All right. We'll have to check, I'll have to check that one out. Tell me about adrenals and adrenal fatigue. The adrenal glands are, just think about this, they're the size of a walnut. There's two of them. They sit on top of your kidneys and they're responsible for dealing with all the stress in your life. So that's no no easy burden. Our body was programmed from day one. Now, when I say day one, I mean like when humans first walked the earth. 
with this fight or flight response. When a bear jumps out of the bushes, it scares the crap out of you. Your pupils dilate, your body gets ready to run or fight. And that's the fight or flight response. Okay. So in that case, the adrenals are kicking out adrenaline. And that's the kind of acute hormone that's going to, you know, prepare the body for that. And that's fine. But the problem is that in today's day and age, we live in a pretty stressed out world. And when that stress is chronic, we start getting elevated levels of cortisol. Now, cortisol is another stress hormone that the adrenals pump out. And cortisol acts kind of like a force field around your cells. It actually protects you from stress. It's not that certain hormones are good or bad. It's really the dose for how much or how little of them we have in the body. So cortisol in normal, moderate proportions is essential for helping you deal with stress. But when you have too much of it, it sends a signal to your brain saying it's not safe out there. And your brain says, okay, well, if we're uncertain, if the world around us is unsafe, then we have to slow things down and conserve energy because we don't know if we're going to survive until tomorrow. And so that's kind of our hard wiring from day one. And we really haven't evolved biologically from that. From the adrenal fatigue standpoint, when you have this chronic stress and this cortisol pumping out all the time, all the time, all the time, all the time, eventually your adrenal glands get to the point where they're like, dude, can't keep up with this, man. I'm done. So they, they can't produce enough cortisol to even allow you to deal with stress properly. And so one of the, the hallmark signs is if you get exhausted after emotional upset or like, you know, if you're yelling or an emotional fight and you feel completely drained afterwards, you're done. You just want to go to bed. And I remember this feeling this way when I was playing soccer. I was 24 at the time. I was a goalie, so I wasn't doing much running, but I was very vocal with my team. And I'd be like exhausted after the games. And I was like, what the heck is going on? Yeah. And again, learning about this stuff later on, I was like, oh, okay, that's probably why my adrenals were shot. And just based on that emotional intensity that I had, I was just exhausted after a game. And that's, you know, one of the signs of adrenal fatigue. So adrenal fatigue is very common. And the problem is that a lot of people use band-aids like caffeine and sugar to feel awake or alive because they're kind of masking the bigger problem that's really going on that's not being attended to. So, I mean, if you want to have more energy, if you want to be really really feeling at your best, you have to really take care of the adrenal glands. And unfortunately, the best way to do that is by rest. And if you're working out, that means not working out. If you're doing anything, it's really just kind of like chilling out and doing nothing and then fortifying your adrenals with the right nutrients, B vitamins, vitamin C, some adaptogens like maca, rhodiola, licorice root, ashwagandha. They can all help to bring this back to life, but it takes time. So it's a very common issue that unfortunately is not being diagnosed by the medical profession. Okay. Rest is the best medicine for that. That's, that's a really funny, your, your soccer story is when we were graduating college, my roommates and I, like we all went up to go skydiving and we actually didn't end up going this day because it was too cloudy or something. But when we got back to the house, everybody passed out. It was like two in the afternoon. It was like the stress of even thinking about jumping out of that airplane was, yeah. I'm guessing it was this elevated cortisol or adrenal fatigue, like never put two and two together, but interesting. So, okay. We talked a little bit about the foods to eat, plant-based diet, green vegetables. You know, if you're not getting enough of that, that's a dietary shift that obviously is not going to hurt you in any sense of the word. What's your take on the, especially in the entrepreneurial community, there's a lot of talk about smart drugs or different supplementation. Are there any cases where you would say this stuff is necessary or can this be solved naturally through diet? 
I'm not a huge fan. Like, I mean, I don't personally use nootropics, which are pretty much like these brain smart drugs type of things. Yeah. I don't really use them. I mean, I've used them in the past. I've used certain ones. Can't even remember what the names were, but I've never really noticed the significant improvement. I mean, the best that I've ever felt in my life, which was significantly different and significantly better than any nootropic was when I was raw vegan for an entire summer. Like I've never felt that compared to anything else I've tried. That's like the most heightened and alert and energetic I've ever, ever felt in my life. And nothing has even come close to that. Now I'm not saying that you have to become a raw vegan. I'm certainly not a raw vegan anymore. Okay. Well, that's the question. So it's like, well, if that was the best plan for you, why not stick with it? At the time it worked for me, but I also realized that, I mean, for me personally, that's not the way I wanted to live in terms of being so restrictive with my food because I'm a big foodie. I love food. I love healthy food, obviously, but you know, food that tastes really good. And I just enjoy going to restaurants and obviously there's restaurants that are raw and vegan and vegetarian and so forth. Yeah. But at the same time, I kind of valued my lifestyle a little bit more than kind of feeling that euphoric. That last like incremental level. Okay. Yeah. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to trade a little bit of this for a little bit more lifestyle. Yeah, all of these restrictive diets, you have to frame it, not what you can't have, but in what you can. Like I get to eat such and such, even if it's like convincing yourself that this kale salad is going to be amazing. And there's ways to make it taste really good. Yep. When we did the slow carb diet, Tim Ferriss's four-hour body diet, the cheat day was like what got us through the week. It's like, well, on Saturday, we can eat whatever we want. And it's like kind of this, this spike. And it got to the point where it was kind of normal and like we've still adapted large tenets of that, you know, lifestyle shift or, or dietary shift in a lot of ways. So there's, there's some good that came out of it. And, you know, we lost, I don't know, we didn't really have much weight to lose, but we felt good while we were doing that. How about on the stress management side? So a lot of us are working full time, you're trying to deal with families and side businesses. And there's like you talked about in the adrenal stuff, like it's a stressful environment that we're in. We're not likely to get attacked by a bear, hopefully, but there's a lot of other stuff going on. Yeah, no, it's, it's a good point. So my wife, just actually today, she runs a healing crystal bracelet business. So she she makes crystal bracelets, which are really awesome. And she was just at the store getting some Christmas stuff done. And then she had like 10 new orders come through. So she like rushed home. And then she was like in this frantic state of just like, go, 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 go. And she was like excited about it and everything, right? But I'm just observing her and she's like pure fight or flight. And that's how a lot of us kind of go through our days is this, we're either jazzed up on something, whether it's excitement of what we're doing or caffeine or something else. And it says, go, 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 go. And you get to a point where you just crash. So when you're at that state of go, go, go nonstop, I would actually consider, or I would actually recommend pausing. I told her, I'm like, you know what you should do right now is just sit down and meditate for five minutes or not even meditate, but just like close your eyes and breathe deeply just to slow down. And very similar with Tim Ferriss' slow carb diet. Think about a slow living diet. Like, so just slow down, take five minutes when you're really busy, when you think you can afford it the least, and just close your eyes and breathe. And just do that to take yourself out of the sympathetic fight or flight response into the more relaxed parasympathetic, which is the opposing side of the nervous system. And what that does, and as you mentioned before, it's like you get this energy through tranquility. And it's a really cool place to come from where I don't know if you meditate or not, but you know, when I meditate, I feel tranquil, but also like really nicely energized, like a nice buzz, like a not like bouncing off the walls, but like a Zen 
energized, sustained feeling. And that's, that's important. Again, it comes back to really recognizing like, what is your body going through and understanding, okay, is this, is this good? Is this, am I just like jazzed up here? Should I, should I slow down a little bit? Like what's, what's going on? So really being more in tune with your body so that you can kind of adjust on the fly because managing your stress is really important because at the end of the day, everybody will burn out eventually. If you continue at that pace, it's only a matter of time. That's why pro athletes don't last for the most part beyond 35 years old because they can't. Their body is just worn out. It's done. And it's the same thing. You know, it doesn't matter if you're like working two jobs and raising kids, like whatever it is you're doing, burning the candle at both ends. It's only a matter of time before your body breaks down. And that's just the way it is. So you have to do things to take time to slow down, breathe deeply, do some meditation, go for a walk in nature, make sure you're going to bed and wake up at the same time every day. That consistent sleep-wake schedule is huge and it's not sexy, you know, but that's the reality of what it takes. Yeah. And I'm super guilty of this because it's hard, even though, of course, you look back at the course of a day, of course, the week, five minutes is nothing, right? Like in your wife's case, like, look, I'm going to ship these things out five minutes later. Like it makes no difference. But when you're in it, you know, it's really hard to remove yourself from that situation. Like, look, I'm going to go sit over here for five minutes. I could be using those five minutes to get more stuff done. Totally. I guess I'm still trying to see the light on the meditation thing, like trying to develop this practice and be more consistent with it. Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of us, I mean, I'm not, I'm not as consistent with meditation as I'd like to be, but for me, I mean, I've got three kids, you know, they're all boys between two and a half and six. So it's pretty chaotic at our house sometimes. Yeah. And being able to to just like really be the calm in the eye of the storm is something that I really practice on a daily basis. I'm like, okay, whatever's going on is just insane, but I'm going to just almost meditate. Not like close my eyes and everything. I'm just, just going to observe what's happening here in a, in kind of like a remove myself from the situation perspective and, and try to take it as calmly as possible because it is easy to meditate if you're by yourself in a cave. Yeah. And there's obviously some benefit to that. But I think a lot of times it's really cool and beneficial if you can take that practice and be conscious of that in day to day. So if you're in, sitting in traffic and everyone's freaking out, can you just breathe a little bit? Or if just life gets in the way and things are like really hectic and busy, can you slow down and just kind of, you know, take a moment? So yeah, doing the breathing exercises while driving has been a good, I'll call it like a productivity hack. Cause like, well, I'm just sitting here anyways. I can't do eyes closed meditation, but at least I can do the breathing part of it. So yeah, you like that one. Talk to me about the exercise component of all of this, because that's something else. You, when the, things are super busy, super stressed, that's the first thing that gets crossed off my list. Even though I know if I just do like 10 minutes of kettlebells and squats and stuff, I'll feel great the rest of the day. Like that's literally all it takes. But still sometimes, you know, the inertia to even get up and do those 10 minutes is really tough. So uh, I'm curious to hear your take on the exercise component of all of this. Like if they're should be doing cardio, should be doing weights. Like what's the perfect energy exercise? Yeah. I mean, you said like inertia really is the magic word because it's, if you're laying on the couch, you're not going to work out. Like it's not going to happen, right? You're just going to want to stay on the couch. I'm as guilty as anyone else. I mean, I, I schedule, I mean, I, my best workouts are late afternoon, but I realize now with my schedule, it's like the kids get home at three. There's no way I'm working out. So for me now, like before kids and, you know, back in the day, I was working out later in the day. Now, if I don't get it done in the morning, it's pretty much not going to happen. So you need to find, or you know, whoever's listening, needs to find and commit to blocking off that time. It doesn't have to be every day, but if you're working you know, three, four times a week, block that off in your calendar like it's a meeting and, and find some type of accountability partner where they can keep you accountable to that. Because it's very easy to say, okay, well, 
I'm just, I, I just have to plow through this work. I'm going to forget the workout for today. But if you have an accountability partner who says, listen, I'm going to knock on your door and pull you out of the house or make you go to the gym at this specific time. And even if you just paid them to do that, it would be worth it. Just to get you kind of to break that inertia can be really powerful. So for me, I schedule most of my workouts for more or less first thing in the morning so I can get that done. And from an energy perspective, I mean, I feel, I think, well, I think most humans feel best after an intense cardio session. So if you're going to go for, you know, a quick 10 minute interval training run type of workout, you're going to feel pretty euphoric. And that's, you know, the, the runner's high that can come from that. Although I'm not a huge fan of spending all your time running and doing cardio because it's not as effective of building lean muscle and keep your metabolism healthy. So I think there's a combination of that with things like kettlebell training is amazing, heavy weight, full body strength training. And you can do strength training in a way where you're still getting a cardio effect. Like you can go from one exercise to the next with very little recovery in between. Your heart rate is going to go through the roof. Anything that's going to get you huffing and puffing yeah. is going to make you feel more energized. And that's the key. If you just think about it like that, if I'm, if I'm huffing and puffing, I will eventually, after I'm done this workout, feel a lot better. And the key is not to huff and puff for like three hours, right? So if you're yeah. working out at a good intensity, it's, you know, we're talking like 10 to 30 minutes at the most. Okay. And you're going to feel pretty good after that. Yeah, that reminds me of my friend who's super into CrossFit. She posted something on Facebook a while ago. It was like, what do you do for exercise? I lift weights. Well, what do you do for cardio? I lift weights faster. And so that was the, that was all about <laughs> it. That's good. Another side hustle show guest, Ari Mysel, is kind of advocate of like at a bare minimum exercise three days a week. It looks like one resistance weight training workout, one cardio type workout, and then one like flexibility or yoga type of workout. And so that's kind of what I've been trying to do lately. Not always happening, but trying to get that done. Well, Yuri, this has been fascinating stuff. I feel I feel more energetic already just talking to you. So now I'm going to go <laughs> get my kale smoothie going and see if we can figure this stuff out to have a really rock in 2017. So Yuri, thank you for joining me. Check out The All Day Energy Diet, and you can find that on Amazon as well as all his other books. And you can find more about Yuri at yurielkame.com. We'll link that up in the show notes. And let's wrap this thing up with your number one tip for Side Hustle Nation. I'll kind of shift gears totally here. You know, if you're building a side business, I actually just shot a video today about this is, so for me, it may be a little bit different because I was training clients as a personal trainer 16 hours a day. And I got to the point where I was like, listen, I can't keep doing this. So what I did was I basically cut half my clients, all the ones I didn't enjoy working with. And I took that time that I now saved and I put it towards building my business online. And then I got to the point where my online business was then surpassing my training business in terms of income. And then I was able to taper off more of my clients and put in more of that time to my online business. So the whole idea is like, no matter what it is you're doing, you have to put aside time for the side hustle, like whether it's one hour a day, two hours a day. And eventually over time, the side hustle becomes the major business. And it's, if you stay committed to that and you've got a good vision, it's pretty amazing what you can do in a short amount of time. I love it, man. I, taking the side thing to the full-time thing. Very cool. And taking it from one to one to one to many. Yeah, exactly. Very cool, Yuri. Thanks so much, and we'll uh, catch up with you soon. It's been a pleasure. Thanks, Nick. This edition of the Side Hustle Show is brought to you by FreshBooks.com. Trying to grow your side hustle into a full-time gig? Awesome. The trick is to make sure your pile of paperwork isn't growing as well, and that's where our friends at FreshBooks come in. They've created cloud accounting software for side hustlers, freelancers, and entrepreneurs like us who need to keep the admin and paperwork in check but don't have a lot of time to do it. Like so many other things in life, timing is everything. And right now happens to be the perfect time to give FreshBooks a try. Why is that? 
Well, FreshBooks has just launched an all-new version of their platform that's been rebuilt from the ground up. Sending invoices, tracking your time, and managing your projects is now faster and more intuitive than ever. FreshBooks also understands that side hustlers don't sit still. Their mobile app works wherever you do, and you can even snap pictures of receipts on your phone to make claiming your expenses about a million times easier. See how the all-new FreshBooks can save you time dealing with your paperwork so you can spend more time making your hustle happen. Go to freshbooks.com slash side hustle to start your 30-day free trial today. That's freshbooks.com slash side hustle to enter bookkeeping bliss. All right, to summarize those seven commandments uh, from the interview with Yuri, number one was blood pH, number two was digestive health, number three was adrenals, four was a plant-based diet, five was supplements and smart drugs, we didn't really spend too much time there, six was stress management, and number seven was exercise. Of course, lots of overlap between those areas, which makes sense since our bodies are pretty complex machines. But my top takeaways from uh, this chat with Yuri, number one, it really all starts with diet. I mean, the old saying, you are what you eat, I think really rang, rang true in this episode. So to summarize Yuri's advice, eat when you're hungry, not because it's mealtime, uh, to give your stomach a break. Eat mostly plant-based foods and try having one of your meals in smoothie form. I think breakfast makes the most sense, at least for me. Uh, the reason being, it's easier to digest and digestion takes up a lot of our energy. Takeaway number two was to slow down. This one is especially hard for me. I mean, this is the side hustle show, right? But uh, like you said, you can't sprint forever. And if you um, if you can force yourself to breathe deeply and perhaps str- uh, think strategically about your next move uh, and control what you can control, I think you're going to be better off. Now, remember, energy through tranquility. Breathe deep with me. <laughs> Easier said than done. I know. Uh, number three was get tested. If you've listened to this episode and you're thinking, and I've already done all this stuff. If you've changed your diet, if you've changed your lifestyle, and you're still chronically tired, maybe it's time to get some professional help. See see what's going on. Like We've all only got limited time here, and living half awake isn't doing you or the people close to you um, any justice. So if you want more, definitely check out Yuri's book, The All-Day Energy Diet. And if you go to yurielkham.com, he's got a free health score quiz, which is kind of cool. You can find all the notes and links from this episode, plus download a free PDF highlight reel with all of Yuri's top energy-boosting tips at sidehustlenation.com slash Yuri. Again, that's Y-U-R-I. That's it for me. Thank you so much for tuning in. Until next time, let's go out there and make something happen. And I'll catch you in the next edition of The Side Hustle Show, where I want to talk about setting up some hustle habits that are too small to fail. I'll see you then. Hustle on. Thanks for listening to the Side Hustle Show at www.sidehustlenation.com.